2: Gets his name on the
0: Stonehaven Cup. Leashed into 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott, a life changer.
3: Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day, everybody. Welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode 20, as we uh, continue to work our way through the world of golf. With an Australian bent, of course, uh, the road to the Open continues this week. Steve Allen from 2002 Victoria, the much-talked-about Australian Open, going to be our special guest. A little later on the show, they don't get any more special than Mark Hayes, however.
0: <laughs> far from being a guest of the show, he is the show. Hello, Hazy. Uh, that's outrageous, that claim, Andy, but thank you. And bent is a perfect word for what we are this week, because I am bent completely out of shape about the President's Cup.
3: Uh, well, you were hopeful. Uh, in fact, you were confident. In fact, you were bull- he was bullish, Ali, Alison Whitaker, who was here last week. You sensed, you saw it, you were close to <laughs> the overt confidence levels of Mark Hayes last week, and they counted for the big fat donut.
4: I feel like... Well, I'm not sure who was more disappointed last weekend, whether it was the internationals or whether it was Mark Hayes. I don't know. I, I pictured him in fetal position with a cup of tea, just crying himself to sleep uh, well, sad- Monday morning, yep. our time.
3: Well, sadly, and here, This what we're going to try and do today is come up with uh, a blueprint to save the President's Cup because I think a lot of us feel like it's on the cusp of relevance um, and it needs something. It needs something to be looked at. And part of the problem, Ellie, is that the pain and suffering that that he felt is not shared by that many people. In fact, not shared nearly by enough people. Too few care enough about the President's Cup to get curled up in a ball and not want to come outside for 24 hours after the sort of performance that was dished up.
4: Well, I think, you know, and I've had a, a couple of chats with players this week and that seems to be the, the common theme is that uh, the Ryder Cup is number one, President's Cup is supplementary. So how do we start a discussion where we can get it up on the same level.
3: Well, it doesn't need to be, does it? I mean, I, I don't, For, for as, a, as somebody who wants to see Australian players given the opportunity to participate against the United States, you know, the number one target in world sport and mm. golf um, in a team's event, I don't think it, for me, it doesn't need to um, be as big ever as the Ryder Cup. It just needs to be a legitimate event in its own right that somehow we can build a team ethos and a genuine spine um, and make it meaningful. At the moment, it's as much as we might want it to be. And we talked about this last week. I want to ask the question what is it, why are we doing this? What's it for? Uh, it just doesn't feel like we're any closer to having it stand on its own two feet for any real reason. Well,
4: when I look at when I look at the biggest area of growth within the last decade of golf, it's Asia. Realistically, mm. so I think they deserve a spot to be, you know, tit for tat with some other team, you know, team competitions um, on the men's and women's side.
0: And that's only going to get stronger too. Uh, <laughs> Andy, I think Ernie Els, we'll, we'll talk about this for a while here so we'll get it all on the table, but Ernie Els said some really strong things afterwards. He's the captain-in-waiting, as I think they've described him, for the 2019 at Royal Melbourne and, and subsequent years maybe. Um, he said we've been sick of being dictated to by the US Tour as to how it should be run. We've got a completely different set, different set of circumstances. Uh, he's talking about you know the selection criteria. And why I was so bullish was because I thought that our guys at the bottom – the admitted bottom of the international team uh, were capable of holding their own against the Americans. Well, that turned out to be a complete joke um, and a really bad assessment on my behalf, but it also didn't uh, help the cause that Hideki Matsuyama and Adam Scott probably played the worst they have all year. Mm. Um, So it all compounded, but it made Ernie L's point really strong and valid at the end of the tournament, you know, the international team has a whole different range of complications to selection, which the American team doesn't, because they've got it all sitting there in front of them the whole time. They leave the US, you can not leave the continental US if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to play the Open all year. Mm. So it's all there in front of them. We're picking guys from you know from different parts of the globe, different tours, and we're using the same ranking system that they are. It doesn't make any sense um, that you know we have 10 guys and they have 10 guys and then two captain selections. And Ernie's saying, we need six captain's picks. So to make sure we've got the best horses for courses team, to make sure we've got the most informed team, uh, we need all things working for us here if we're going to keep it at that format, which I don't agree with anymore. And I've, Look, I've sat, here, I've sat here for years and years, barracking like hell, like mm. overtly in the media, which is not a good idea generally as a rule. But you know, I want this desperately to succeed. And I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It doesn't have to be Rider Cup number two. It should be something entirely different, have its own brand and uh, with others. I think Ali's come up with a really cool plan as to how how we can make that work.
3: Well, do you, uh, before you launch into the new the, the the idea, which I think you two have been kicking around between yourselves, and I, I can't wait to hear you talk about it because I think it's really valid and it is something that is it's in an, in and of itself unique and might be the stamp that makes the President's Cup um, a really worthwhile thing. Before you get onto that, is there anything you want to say about the way the President's Cup two thousand and seventeen? played out, just in terms of the obliteration, the complete note utter dominance, the fact that it was lucky to get into a final day I, I reckon, you know, if you wanted to be brutal, you could say you could ask a few questions about what happened at the end of day three, if, if you wanted to, about putts being conceded, and making sure this thing went to a final day because it was pretty close. It was pretty close not getting it was,
4: there. It was unprecedented stuff, really, mm. wasn't it? The concept of the tournament being over before singles had even mm. come about. And it started, you know, a, a very interesting conversation in regards to selection criteria, just touching on what Hazy said. Um, you know, the Women's Solheim Cup team, the two tours and the way that they uh, select their teams are very different. You know, the US side pick eight off points – um, two off world rankings, two captains picks. Whereas the European side has four off points, four off world rankings, four picks. So I campus, do think can, yeah, can, there, there is something in there that can be that can be um, moved around to potentially find a, a more even competition. But I mean, it, essentially, the internationals had to play their best golf going into it, and they didn't. But had the singles been on day one, and they shifted it r- around given the record and historical data that they would have put together, that's another potential solution that might um, help going forward as well. But I don't know. I think personally the way that I'm thinking about the rejig of the structure is 2021. I, I do think we have a right to go back in 2019 to the site of the one win that the internationals had at Royal Melbourne. Obviously, I'm biased because I live right by Royal as well and love <laughs> it. But I do think that's an important, um, you know, a cycle to go through and to go back there and be like, all right, well, maybe it's, thought, it's a golf course. I thing. I, thing. I saw your house on Airbnb
0: <laughs> for like 5,000 a week. Uh,
4: 5,000 a night, I
0: think. A night, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I just, um, there's so many things I could talk about, Andy, and I really sat down to write a story, which is on the Golf Australia website as we speak. It was a really painful uh, exercise exercise to write it, because I had to sit down and actually reflect on what it is that motivates me to be so caught up in the President's Cup, and I know, I admit that I'm in the 1% that is, but it was really galling to say the Americans are better than us. it stands to reason by the world ranking, so that's that's obvious, and I know that. But they putt better than us. Mm. They putt better than us under pressure. They react better under pressure. The international team was in the mix in the foursomes and four balls most rounds until about the seventh, eighth, ninth. And what holes. did
3: you know was going to happen when the when the game when the momentum was there to shift ah. one way or the other? You just you could see it. You ah. could read it like a book. It
0: it's was tangible. going to go one way. It's tangible. It's gut wrenching to watch, and then these idiots sitting there yelling out "mashed potato" and calling for Adam Hadwin's ball to get in the water instead of getting the hole. They're going, "Get in the water!" When they hit oh, it can off I their play? Teeth. Can I
3: play that? I, oh, we've please. got the audio here because this was something I was going to leave to later on in the show, but now you brought it up. In case you don't know what we're talking about, this is what happened: to A- Adam Hadwin, when he teed off one on it, what day was it? I want but, to say Saturday. You know, I want to think about it. on Saturday. So this is what he had to put up with.
4: Get in the water!
3: Now. Oh. That person, for the sake of everybody who loves sport, let alone not just golf, that person, somebody should, a security guy should go and walk up to him, and drag him out. There's no place, there's no, there's, there's place for good-natured heckling, but that's just, that's just rude, and that's beyond rude. Actually, that guy uh, should be thrown out of the joint. It, it,
0: and not allowed back in. He would never do that at a tournament week, a PGA yeah. Tour week. So what gives him the right now to just come and yell at a bloke because he's from north of the border? Mm-hmm. What a joke that is. Anyway, I, I you know, I, I, don't want to put my thoughts about that idiot other than that. <laughs> Which you've done. Yeah. <laughs> on, yep. on air, yeah. Hear. But I encourage people to go and read, if that wasn't enough for you, uh, Audrey Leishman, who's a fantastic human being, you know, we haven't had the chance to get to know her personally because she hasn't come back down for, you know, family and health reasons for a while. She's a fantastic person, and you'll get that very quickly when you read a couple of blogs she's written. And she put it on Facebook this morning. So, Thursday morning, we're recording this. Uh, her um, gut instincts about what she experienced walking around New Jersey already, as, as, so an, as an she, American.
3: What'd she say?
0: She's embarrassed. Right. Embarrassed by the behavior that the international team was subjected to. Embarrassed by the things that they were called, they were taunted. Um, they were told when the fanatics were yelling, and everyone's got different opinions on the fanatics. But they bring fun, and and what they do is bring courteous fun to it. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it can make a radical um, difference from what those other morons yell out with their mashed potatoes. But she's they were taunting, calling the di- calling different names. They were calling the fanatics to s- you know to sing in English, which is such a bizarre and xenophobic thing to say from from an American crowd. I mean, it, it really reflected some of the things going on over there. They're, they're bulletproof. And again, it's that, you know, we don't want to bring all this stuff into it every week, but it's a, it's a predominantly white and you know upper-class sort of crowd and they get a few beers in. They were drinking at seven in the morning. It's just a bad recipe. And, and I, seriously, go and read Audrey Leishman on Facebook. Oh. It is phenomenal. She puts it so well and she basically says, if you've got nothing nice to say, shut the hell up. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm putting bad words in her mouth. She wouldn't say that, but that's precisely the the, um, the flavor of what she's trying to get across. And it, it's galling to read. You know, as a sports fan, you just go, how could you subject athletes to that? You know, especially when you clap them a week before and a week mm, afterwards. Mm, mm. And then when the American, she said when the American team had won, so by the time the, you know, Mid-morning, on Sunday morning, the singles came around. They were all clapping and being polite again and asking them for autographs and photos and everything after the round. Uh, So, you know, they're just being generally obnoxious. They're boorish.
3: It's boorish behaviour. Something happens to them when they they whip themselves up into this kind of patriotic frenzy. Something happens when they 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 put the star-spangled banner and the stars and stripes on their back. Something happens to American sports fans. They become complete and utter morons. To that end though, isn't it part of the strength of the American team? Yeah, yeah. That's part of the that's what that's what this that's what the international team is up against. We're trying to bring this this group of really talented players together, but when they get there there's no core, there's no there's no DNA that they share. Whereas these guys, a lot of them, you know. Thomas and Spieth have been eating hamburgers together since they were six. Um, you know, Kucher and Mickelson have known each other for thirty-five years. They've been playing on representative teams. They've been representing America at various levels, amateur and professional. You know, for their entire adult lives, and and before that, they have so much of that to fall back on. That my fear is with the Presidents Cup team, we'll unfortunately never have. It's it's,
4: it's interesting, isn't it? Because I you know, I, whenever we look at things like President's Cups, Ryder Cups, I look at the women's side of it and, and I look at Solheim Cup and the the atmosphere and the team dynamic on Team Europe is so different to the USA. Mm. It, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to the US team, but the European side comes together effortlessly and they play in different corners of the world. So obviously they can all speak english as well so that you know there's potentially a little bit less of a, a language barrier that the men's international side might have but it, it is interesting how the men's us team and i think we really saw it this year we were expecting it um, given the friendships that has have been so evident on the PGA Tour in the last year and a half in particular, I think we were expecting to see it and I think we were rewarded for that because it was really fun watching mm. the US guys come together. And I have was never it paid... Hazy? Was it fun, Hazy? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun the word that springs to mind for you. <laughs> but have, you ever, have you ever spent so much time during a President's Cup watching press conferences?
3: No, well, no. And it's a good point. And look, We've got a couple of bits and pieces um, cut from that, and, and this is, you know, I've heard people say uh, they were drinking their own bath water, they were disrespectful. Um, I've heard people say a few things about the way the Americans were enjoying their victory uh, post-final day, um, but I thought a lot of it was coming from all the right places, and um, the songs that people were singing, that the fanatics were singing, they were asked about those songs in the post-game triumphant press conference, uh, and this started with Jordan Spieth, and it, end, it ends with a, a fatiguing Dustin Johnson. <laughs> See, woo, shaking that ass, shaking that shaking that
1: ass. That was the best song for sure.
3: That was definitely my favorite.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> looked oh, so too. embarrassed every time they sang it.
1: That was incredible. <laughs> I like to be uh we Somebody got nine again? cups. You got one, we got nine cups.
3: <laughs> make that you can make that ten kids.
1: I think we add one, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Did y'all learn that at Alabama?
3: <laughs> See woo. Chicken of that. Chicken of that. <laughs> so so that was DJ at the end and it all started with it. I think he just I think he just picked songs.
0: that up from the first time they were seeing it.
3: I think he might have been enjoying victory a lot.
0: I I, I tell you what, Andy, I'm, you, you've got other things you want to say there, and I get that. I'm sorry, I just I I give him a complete leave pass for being excited after a victory. Yeah, and further, I mean, I don't hate the american athletes i just hate what the crowd becomes around watching them so there's some really nice guys in that american team i don't like watching phil mickelson celebrate at the best of times but it doesn't mean he's a bad bloke
4: it's because he's got the worst fist bump in the game if you watch him it's so unnatural we we actually make fun of it kind of on tour a little bit (laughs) he needs to get back in front of the mirror while he's doing the range work just practice that because it's rough
3: Well, Matt Kuchar Kuchar was sitting alongside Phil Mickelson at the end of it all, and he did uh, underline just how good this group was, this American group was, that competed uh, in this year's President's Cup.
0: This team was just an amazing bunch of guys, amazing uh, performance. Everybody was on great form. For us to have, we had 11 guys in the Tour Championship. Everybody except Phil Mickelson was at East Lake. It was like how how many times does that happen that you get 11 out of 12? If it was only for Phil, we would have had 12 of 12. But Phil, Phil was not there, and so if we just it, we were one guy short of having an entire team there. And if Phil was there, that would have been the whole team. Like how many times does a team ever had that many guys playing that well to make the tour championship? It gave it me a chance incredible. to go home and work on my game in case it did come down to my singles match. You know. God, J- Justin, tell them how great Eastlake was.
3: <laughs> so you know they're having they're having. I, a good I love time. Matty Kutcher. So do I. Yeah,
0: he's a great great fella. Um, and and that's very lighthearted, and I get all that. But you know, by the same token, you're playing in your own backyard a week after the tour championship, on your own tour, on your home soil, with a US PGA Tour. Inspired event And you know Get out of your comfort zone Once in a while You blokes Like fair enough. Take I, my, my first thought about this Especially if we don't Make radical changes Like Ali is about to Hopefully announce In a second I, It should never be played In the US Ever This could be the <laughs> No serious Bugger them I'm, Get them out They need to travel These idiots They're so comfortable <laughs> in their In their little ivory tower It's time for them to move You know They need to be challenged the US tour just dominates the whole thing. They say you need this, you need that, you need this, you need that. No, we don't. No, this is a global game. Well, how many know. weeks
3: off has it taken this year? Is it th- got three weeks off? The new schedule was released three weeks ago. It's forty nine or fifty two weeks. There's a PJ tour event. Well, as, we, as
0: we've happily heard from Matt Kuchar there, eleven of those guys mm. went from the tour championship to Presidents Cup and not all I think there's only a couple of guys from the President's Cup and they're both internationals. Playing uh, at the Safeway Open this week. But it's on again this week. It is on. Yeah. It's, it's straight back away. Back on uh, Like You know the <laughs> I've just forgotten his name right now. Is he's he's, a, he's the guy who won the Milwaukee Open beat Steve Allen um a few years uh, Kevin, ago. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Perry. Perry. yeah. Kenny Perry Decides not to play the British Open a couple of times because it doesn't fit in with. He doesn't like to travel and it doesn't fit in with his schedule. That's the Open Championship. This is. I'm not. They all haven't got this mentality. Matt Goucher travels like a beauty. Um, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth travel like a beauty. But there's people on that team who you know wouldn't even know where JFK Airport was. It's embarrassing.
3: I don't think Kevin Kisner's taking his game around the world in a hurry. Now, so that's where we sit at the end of this thing. And um, you know, it's the 12th playing, and they've won 10 and. Uh, We know where it's at right now. It is coming down here in two years' time, and we hope that we can... Do something to reverse the trend.
4: Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment, simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends, and learn a sport that you can play. For the rest of your life, to find a program near you, visit
1: swingfit.com.au. Hello, I'm Charlie Smart. This October is golf month and the perfect opportunity to share the golf club with your mate. Get around it. You two have been
3: concocting. I don't know whether you've done an independent one another or have you decided to put your heads together, but you've come up with a, a plan or a blueprint for what the President's Cup might look like beyond 2019. Care to share it with us?
4: Well, I think it's, we just have a real opportunity at the moment, given the nature and the ongoing strength and growth of the women's side of the game, um, to to really, you know, shake things up a little bit. I, I talk about 2021. I was sitting and watching it and thought, stuff it, I'm going to start writing up a structure. I'm going to throw it out there and see what kind of traction it gets. It got a decent amount of, of um, conversation started, which was really cool. So my suggestion was... Uh, I think I wrote originally wrote ten guys, ten girls. I think it, a lot of people are saying six of each. I don't think six is enough. I think it needs to be eight to ten players, um, male and women, uh, male and female, uh, on the men's and women's side. You can start the week with individual foursomes, so girls playing together, boys playing together, or you could mix them up. And that was one of the things that I was unsure of. But I just really genuinely wanted to. To start seeing if that was something that people could get on board with and so then you go through and obviously two players in theory depending on how many you selected for each side would sit out on any given day mm. um, and you could structure the matches around that so you'd still have foursomes four balls on day one day two um, a mixture of both on the Saturday that could be a fully mixed day so that's a real strategic play um, required by the captains and you'd you know. Furthermore, you might even want a male and female captain in the mix as well, um, just for the knowledge of the players and so forth. And then go and head to head again on the Sunday. So I don't think a lot necessarily has to change, but obviously it would be a massive change.
0: Uh, I, I couldn't agree more, and I'm I love it. fully on board with what Ellie said. And, and it's you know her thoughts on social media and mine on uh, the Golf Australia website. Basically, you know, a couple of minor tweaks, but they basically coexist very nicely together. One of the biggest issues, regardless of what we do, is obviously the depth of talent in the American team that they have available compared to the international men, not the women. Um, one of the calls that Ernie Os wants to make is again reducing the number of points that they play for, reducing the number of matches. If we go to the men's and women's mixed one, you don't, even, you may not, Ally, even need to sit people out because we've got legitimately strong teams here. 6, six, eight, ten, regardless of whatever number that becomes. There's no weaknesses here. There's no flaws. We can play. The more, the better. If we end up playing for forty-four points, if they're all legitimately contested, as opposed to some of the ones we saw last week in New Jersey, um, I'm all for it. Mm. It's just a great. It's a. It is potentially a great event. It's just we haven't got there yet.
4: Well, if you look at selection criteria, and this was, you know, I just had fun thinking about my hypothetical team. If you pick eight players on the women's side, you don't get outside the the world top ten. On the women's <laughs> international team, yeah. and that's pretty ridiculous. And so, you know, I went through those top eight and then picked my two, quote unquote, you know, captains' picks, and uh, and I threw Brooke Henderson in there and uh, Minji Lee as well. Um, just for, you know, to shake things up. They've both got great games, so super solid. Obviously, Brooke winning last week in New Zealand. But um, actually, someone wrote in and said, I don't know, I think you're being a bit rough because I don't know if I'd put Brooke Henderson as a captain. Surely she deserves a chance to play. So didn't quite get me on that one. But um, yeah, I mean, just... I had so much fun thinking about it, and I just hope it gets something started. What about
3: feedback from players? I know you've caught up with Lydia Cohen. We'll hear that in a moment, Mm -hmm. Hazy. Did you get any feedback from players regarding the concept?
4: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, Brittany Lincecum kind of got involved in the conversation on, on Twitter, and she just said she'd be open to it, which I think is something that would be a blanket term for the majority of the LPGA players and the American players and also the international players. I think it, I genuinely can't picture any female saying, I wouldn't love the chance to have that. I just I can't see them saying it at all. But, um, yeah, I spoke to Sandra Gall. Uh She's European, so she is ineligible for selection, so she's completely unbiased, mm. and, and she couldn't get enough of it. And so um, I've spoken to Vicky Hurst, a Solheim Cup player, Um, and she knows a lot of the guys she helped out, Jordan Spieth, with one of his charity days, I think it was last year, and she genuinely thought they'd all be up for it. Michelle Wee, Marina Alex, two American players, they spend their holidays with Justin Thomas (laughs) and Ricky Fowler, (laughs) and they all wear ridiculous, you know, like July 4th, they all wore ridiculous like um, USA bikinis and bathers and went out on a boat together. Like they would love it because they play off the scene, like off... Off the TVs, when they go home, they play together. It's a
0: point of difference. This is exactly what it needs. I've, I've had a few people gun me down. For, have you? F- yeah, and, and say, you know, how you know, how dare you basically suggest that we, you know, um, I think I'm being the, using the wrong word here, but tarnish the men's game by even suggesting this. It goes against <laughs> the grain of what we should say. And I, I, I couldn't disagree more vehemently. And I think you missed the point. Those, those critics have missed the point. It's not only a matter of... Of making it a mixed event, it's about giving it an identity of its own Correct. and making it something that the world's media and fans from every part of the world will miss. will 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 thrive to see. You know, they'll 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 be up and about to see it, and it won't change whether, regardless of the result, it'll be something there that, that we could you know hang on to for quite a while. And it's different; it's totally different. First chance we get to do this, um, I reckon you'll see a huge uprising of. Uh, female interest in you know getting to the top echelons of the game, and you know we've talked about this sort of most ad nauseum through the duration of Inside the Ropes and further to this, and I know that Ali's already half mentioned it. Fancy letting that you know a dozen of the top 16, 17 players sit idle during Solheim Cup and just you know oh, you, you good players you have the week off. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean it's just stupid. So you know it, it, it ticks so many boxes in my mind.
4: I had uh, one bloke when I was talking to him about it. He said, it's the President's Cup, though. It's a, it's a male event. And I oh, respectfully said to him, I'm pretty sure they nearly had a female oh, president this year. So what better time? <laughs> and you can't see Hazy's gone into the aforementioned fetal position. Oh. But, you know, at, at what point in time is better than now to launch this?
3: Oh, I None. There's no no time like the present. There is no better time. And... You should have said to whoever that imbecile was <laughs> that – was it somebody in Australia? I, went,
4: well, well, he shut up pretty quickly when I mentioned the fact that, that there was nearly Hillary Clinton oh, standing pe- there handing the trophy over on Sunday. Like yeah. that's no, – you know, it's just we require a little tweak in that department, that's I think. That's very embarrassing.
3: Um, so you caught up with Lydia Coe, Hazy. Um, yeah. Shall we have a listen to what she had to say with you and Please. then have a chat? This is, um, this is our very own having a chat to the former world number one about this concept. We're joined by a
0: very special guest on Inside the Ropes. Lydia Coe, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: It's a special question I'm going to get to ask you. Um, We saw the President's Cup this past weekend. It didn't turn out so well for the men and the international side of things. What's your thoughts on what could become... the mixed event down the, down the line there has been a lot of talk about that this week
2: um that would be really cool uh, it would be something that I would love to be a part of um, and no, I haven't you know had the opportunity to play with you know the men players that much so uh yeah no I think it would be so cool to do that um, uh, and you know it's uh, I think it'd maybe bring a little different perspective uh, but no it'd, it'd be something that I would love to you know be a part of I think it'll be great and especially because you know, the president Cups is, is so international obviously the international team and the US that you know, it would be really cool for the fans to all around the world.
0: Great game it'd be a great opportunity for the game of golf itself, wouldn't it, a promotional tool?
2: I think so. I'm, you know people that you know were a fan of the men's golf uh, you know might you know watch us and go man this is so cool watching the women's and the, and the people that are a fan of the women's golf it, I think it'll be vice versa and I think it'll just get more people interested in it and just bring a, a little different perspective I uh, you know to to golf um and you know it's I guess a different way of looking at growing golf
0: what would you think about teeing it up with Jason Day or Adam Scott or something in a really head-to-head contest with Phil Mickelson and uh, Paul Karima? Uh,
2: that would be really cool. I mean, I've never even played with them, so being to play kind of like a President's Cup format alongside them, uh, I think I'd be nervous, but it would be really cool uh, to have kind of them as my teammate. They might be nervous playing with you. I don't think so, (laughs) but I I reckon we would have such a great time. Do you think there's any
0: obstacles from the um, the tour's ended to make that happen one
2: day? Um, uh, you know, obviously. You know, the commissioners and you know everybody—they're doing their best to grow the game, you know, uh, make golf more popular. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know this is a topic that has you know come up before. So, it's something that they they may talk about, and you know, it might not happen in my generation, per se, but it'll be cool to happen sometime you know, down the road for golf. We'd love to see you playing the international team in the Presidents' Cup. you. thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you.
3: We would indeed. I'd love to. I think it'd be great. Oh, I think it's a no-brainer. Now it's just whether the wills of all of those involved, the competing, the the uh, not competing tours, but the engaged tours in all of this, have got the will to, you know, um, consider something that is, you know, pretty radical for them. Um, whether they're bold enough to see it for what it could be, I think it's. I get a no-brainer. Well,
4: I know. At least, at the very least, it's been. Spoken about in the right circles, okay. which is really cool. Um, on on men's and in, women's side, um, at least from the TV perspective okay, and management yep. perspective, yeah. So it, the hypothetical is still very hypothetical, but at least there is discussion that has been created, which is really cool.
0: I thought we were making headway towards an event in Hawaii that was going to be similar to the to the um, the Victorian Open um, at the start of the year. It was going to be. There was talk. Two to three years ago, of an event in Hawaii, right at the start of January, where the men's and women's tours came together, and for whatever reason, uh, that hasn't happened. Uh, and I don't. I sort of get the feeling that the PGA Tour has backed away a little bit from from you know hitching its wagons to the LPGA, which I think is disappointing in the first place. Um, but it has been mentioned, so it's not like there aren't communication channels open. But I think it would just show. Uh, it's not because it's our idea, but I just think it would be fascinating if they rejected the idea to hear exactly why. Oh, I absolutely! Agree because anymore. it's yep. it would smack of sexism, yep. or you know some other reason. I it, it, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously logistical issues about setting up courses. Uh, you know, you, you don't have 610 yard par fives for the women and whatever. So I, you know, you you may or may not play off the same tees on the mixed day, but. Um, you know, in terms of logic as opposed to logistics, I'd love to hear the answers if they knock it back because I don't reckon there's too many strong arguments.
3: Well, let's see where it goes. You know, where it goes, if it goes anywhere in the future, it's, uh, it's certainly one that's worth being put on the agenda and uh, kicking around. Well, there's a lot of other bits and pieces we want to have a chat about, but uh, our road to the Open Series continues after this short break.
1: G'day, I'm My Golf Ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for My Golf, the Australian Golf's national junior program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, this is David Graham and you are Inside the
3: Ropes. Time now for our Road to the Open segment to continue. We go back to 2002, one of the most talked about Australian yeah, Opens in our lifetime. Without doubt. Al and Hazy, for um, a lot for the right reasons. Unfortunately, some of it for the wrong reasons at Victoria. And the man that eventually won that tournament, which was reduced to three rounds, of course, back in 2002, was Steve Allen. And he joins us from over in the US of A, where he's preparing to play for the, in the first of the um, PJ Tour events for the year. And it's great to have you on Inside the Ropes, Steve. Thanks for joining us, mate.
1: No worries,
3: guys. And I should say for the season, not for the year, of course. Um, two thousand and two, we go back to the Victoria Golf Club, uh, the Australian Open that you won. What do you think about first your triumph or or the controversy that that sort of befell that tournament? Uh, definitely,
1: definitely winning. I mean, you know, it's, it's the highlight of my career, winning you know my national open, and it was at home. You know, at the time I was literally living, you know, five minutes with Victoria, and you know, uh, my family were there, most of my friends. It was, it was. It was a
0: great week for me. Well, I understand why people talk about that incident, Andy and Stevie. I, I I just put it on the record now that my thoughts on this are has thrown up a champion the, who holds the Stonehaven Cup just about as dearly as anyone who's ever won it and has carried it. I don't think you've missed one, Stevie, since. And I, and I just think you always make an effort to come back. And it does play a huge role in your life, doesn't it? Yeah, it was, I
1: mean, it really was. It was... Uh, I'd been playing well that year without having any great results, but I I actually remember when I heard that the tournament was going to be in Victoria. Uh, you know, playing state golf in Victoria. Uh, when I first turned pro, we had the Vic Open at Victoria, we had the Australian PGA at Victoria, so I really knew the course well and I loved it. And when the Open was held there, I really looked forward to playing it. And I was I was a little fortunate in that I, that year I just scraped into the top 150. On the PGA Tour, which meant I didn't have to play the second stage. Otherwise, I would have missed the Open. And uh, so it was maybe it was meant to be. I, you know, I snuck in. I think I was 149. I was playing well at the end of the season. You know, I got back to Australia. You know, a week before uh, the greens were rock hard. I had a practice round out there with uh, Jeff Ogilvie. You know, the week before, and the greens were already. You, you could tell there was going to be some issues because they were already brown on the Friday before. Um, but. You know, I, I had a week to get back used to Sandbelt golf and the firmness of the greens, and I, I, I played well. You know, I was, I was working on some good things with Lynchy at the time, and, and uh, it all came together.
4: Steve, it's hard enough to win an Australian Open as an Aussie, you know, at the best of times. So how did the, the controversy of that week factor into your, I, I guess, your game plan, but also the way that you, you handled all of the pressure in what was a, a pretty all-star cast that week?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a really good feel. I mean, I think barring sort of at the time, like, you know, Norman and Elkinson, I think all the other good Aussies were there. And we had Charles Howell and, uh, and obviously Rich Beam, who was the, you know, the, the PGA, the US PGA champion. So, uh, the controversy really didn't, it was a talking point, but it really didn't enter into my game plan. I mean, the game plan was there because the first day, if we had kept playing, it would have been extremely difficult. So you would have been really, really grinding and really just trying to make pars and, and not rack up big numbers but once once that was over it was more about just trying to play and the course was perfect after that you know I think they fertilized it and watered it and and really the way the course was on Friday was the way it should have been on Thursday and it would have got a little firmer during the week and it would have been a perfect uh, perfect Melbourne setup but so really the controversy didn't didn't play into it it was just a matter of getting on with it and uh, really trying to play well.
0: We'll get away from this in a second Steve but just before we do there were two things I wanted to ask you about that once one is that your position on the course. I think you were immediately behind the the flashpoint. You're on the second or maybe even the third tee when when all hell broke loose on the third. But also, in uh, you know, as you are now, sort of in some way defending your your claims to the title, which is I think ridiculous. I mean, it's Unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Um. You 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 rightly point out in a subsequent story you did with Martin Blake, that, you know, you did went through all the rigours of a champion and stood on the last, the first tee on the last day nervous and had to fight off a fantastic field. It's, there's no asterisk next to it, in your opinion, is there?
1: Yeah, no, not at all. I, I think if I had, you know, i been leading on Saturday night and the last day got washed out, well, I'd be happy to take the asterisk. But, uh, you know, it, it, like you said, the hardest thing to win in golf is to be there and, and go through the last day and, you know, Sadly, I haven't done that at other times in my career, but uh, <laughs> that week, uh,
0: that week I did. <laughs> and what, 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 what was your recollection? Because so it was Bob Shearer and Mark Allen up on the third green. that called out the the tour officials and the um, AGU officials at the time to to sort out what was going on. And you know there was a the threat of a walk off from the players, and you were only yeah. two or three hundred meters from that flashpoint. Yeah, I was. I was.
1: I'd hit my drive on the third. I think I was in the left rough. And I saw some hands going up in the air as if to say what's going on. And we, we knew the course was on the edge, so it didn't, it didn't completely surprise anyone. But, uh, you know, and, and they took a long time. I think they might have even watered with the thought of continuing. But, you know, I walked up there and listened and listened to them. And I think it was Richard Ball was playing with Bob and, um, and, uh, and Mark. And, um, he, you know, he, he chipped up and they'd all said good shot. Thought the ball had stopped a couple of feet short of the hole. And as they walked onto the green, it started rolling back to the front. and His next putt part, part or chip—I'm not sure—went past the hole, and he, so now he now he's got a patch straight back down the hill, and that went straight off the front. And they were, yeah, so they were a little bit uh, they were a bit annoyed. But I think there was a few spots on the course that were uh, the same things were going to happen. I, I heard one of the greenkeepers tell me at the time that uh, Channel Seven might have gone to a break with Peter Lonnard on the green, and they came back, and he was in the bunker. And, uh, <laughs> 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 so I think, uh, maybe. Maybe on a few holes, I think there might have been some issues as the day went on. Because, you know, that was, that was only two or three holes into the afternoon round. So we had, you know, four or five hours worth of, uh, worth of golf with only firmer and faster
0: conditions coming. Now, I understand, uh, Andy and Ellie, too, that Stuart Appleby had just five-putted the 13th. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not in Stuart Appleby's kit bag as a rule. So, <laughs> you know, there were some horrendous things going on.
3: So, you shoot 66 64, Steve, the first, the next two rounds, and you stand on, in that final group on the final day, knowing what was in front of you. All these years later, can you remember how jangly your nerves were and how excited, from a really positive sense, I imagine, how excited you were going into that final round? Yeah, I, I do. I was,
1: I was nervous, but I was, I think, I think I was confident and, uh, I remember setting a goal. Obviously, you want to win, you know, but my goal at the start of the day was just to play well and really control what I could control. And uh, a couple of times that day, you know, I've got a habit of getting ahead of myself when things are going well and, you know, getting excited. And a couple of times that day, it did happen. I got off to a good start. I was 30 the first. Um, Rich bogeyed, so I was a couple ahead of him and I wasn't sure of what other guys were doing. But I played really solidly without anything else happening. And I got around to the seventh hole and I looked up and I was one ahead, um, two ahead still. And I hit it close on eight, but missed the part and then bogeyed the par five nine to be back into a tie for the lead, which was obviously disappointing because I really I was close enough on eight that I could have stretched it to three with the par five coming up. And, uh, you know, I, I did let myself, uh, I did let the thoughts get into my head and I got ahead of myself. But both times uh, in that day, I was able to really calm down and really just refocus on just playing well and hitting good shots. And, you know, I birdied 11 and 12 and. I kinda of did the same thing all of a sudden I think I was three ahead, which you know you know, two holes before I was toe for the lead and now I'm three ahead and as a result I hit a pretty weak putt on my first putt on thirteen and I three putted and and uh, but again I was able to just sort of calm down and really uh really focus on what I had to do and uh Rich Rich held a long putt on fourteen and I followed him in, which was, you know, in the end the difference and I played a little conservatively over the last few holes. Uh I love that finishing stretch at Vic, like fifteen is Possibly my favourite short par four in the world, and I nearly always go for it with driver. But on that day, with a with a you know with a two shot lead, I'm not I'm not bringing a double in a play. And I think I had a six iron off the tee, um, Hit a pretty good shot into sixteen. But again, kept it below the hole, hold a nice little three footer for par. And uh, you know, I, I didn't play the last two holes particularly strong. Didn't good drives, but um, sort of good good pair bunker shots. And then uh, I had a really good long putt on eighteen. I mean, I, I hit a pretty weak pitch. I... Barring Rich hole and another bomb from the back of the green, I knew that a par was going to be enough, and my pitch wasn't really, really very good. Left me a tricky putt across the green, but you know, I, was, I was rolling the ball well all week, and I had good, good feel for the speed, and I just uh, triggered it down
4: there. Steve, you talk about you know the way that you manage a final round, and it's something that I think we should potentially talk to more after people have won big events, especially in their in their uh, in their home countries. But what kind of strategies did you use? you know, out there during the final round. I know Kari Webb used to shut her eyes and try and listen to all the birds and and try and pick birds out of trees around her just to try and stay in the moment. Did you have anything like that that you had in place at the time? Because it was almost right on the cutting edge of sports psychology coming into golf around about 2002.
1: Yeah, I I didn't have anything particular that day. It was really just about trying to play well. I really told myself I just wanted to play well and, and do my best. But, you know, I've used those those sort of little tricks at times and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. You know, I think, uh, you know, a couple of them are like, like Kari, listen to the birds, listening to the sounds that you can hear, you know, just, uh, obviously, obviously at times deep breathing is good and to really relax. Sometimes, uh, it's like totally switching off from golf. Um, when you're walking up the fairway, thinking about something else, but, you know, I think, uh, I think those things can be very individual. And some, like I said, sometimes they seem to really work. And other times I haven't, you know, I've, I've had a couple of pre-shot uh, thoughts that have really helped in my career at different times and they work amazingly for a while and all of a sudden that same thought doesn't seem to work. And, you know, <laughs> it's, hard to put, it's hard to
4: put your finger on sometimes. Yeah, it's exactly the same with swing sort, swing thoughts sometimes as well, isn't it? But in terms of, Absolutely. you know, final rounds, I think something we don't talk about enough. A lot of it comes down to decision making. You're always going to make execution errors, aren't you? But when you say that going down the stretch you chose to play more conservatively, um, it's something that I think a lot of our listeners can relate to in terms of their pennant matches, their you know Saturday comps. Um, did you play conservatively to like aggressively to conservative targets, or did you really just reel back?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I think I, I was pretty nervous there at the end. I mean, I think I was probably more nervous hitting a six iron off the fifteenth than I would <laughs> normally when I'm standing there hitting a driver because it's just not something you do, and it's uh, it's it's hard sometimes to focus on that layup. Like like you said, you hit a fix on into the pin. You have got a specific spot, and 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 you, on that hole particularly, you just wanted to get it on the fairway. So I don't, I probably don't think on that particular shot, I was I was probably very good with my uh, mental thought. But after at the end of the day, it was a fix and so I managed to get it on the fairway. And I hit, you know, I hit some good shots coming in. Um, I think that is that is key to have an aggressive swing towards a you know conservative target. And but again, because. Sometimes, uh, you know, some players aren't conservative by nature. So I think the difference when they try to play conservative, it doesn't come naturally. So I think it, it takes some work sometimes. I think it's something that you have to be, be ready to do in, in, in lots of situations, really. I mean, any time you're, you're in contention, you know, you've got decisions coming down the stretch. But most of the time, the best thing you can do is play as well as you can for the day. Because, you know, for example, on that hole, if, 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 I, if I just, um, you know, if I... I'd gone for it and, and messed it up, well, most of the time I'd be happy to take that risk on that hole, because it's a, the risk of making an eagle, an easy birdie uh, as compared to a wedge, which is still a tricky wedge and a tricky green, but you have to yeah, you have to be ready to, to do that and play conservatively or aggressively, and you know, uh, the, the finish at Vic with two par fives is a, is a pretty good example of that. I think more so are some of the holes with water. You, when you get to the last hole, you want to know where you stand from that situation, but before the last couple of holes, you know, you should play as well as you can, I think. And I think the key thing is to feel comfortable with the shot. There's times that you might be aggressive and think that the shot, people watching might think the shots are, what are you doing, that's silly. But if you're really comfortable with it, um, you know, you've got to be bold sometimes to win. So I think uh, I think the key is to really be comfortable with what the shot you're doing, the shot you're preparing to play, you know.
0: It's fascinating to hear you say that because Robert Allenby, a few groups ahead of you, had absolutely made a meal of the 15th, drove it into the bunkers left and had three in the sand and made a bomb of a putt for a five, which when he derailed himself there, unfortunately. I I wanted to go take you back to the 11th, Stevie, if you don't mind, and 12th, actually, in particular. You hit a fantastic approach into 11 green, uh, made the birdie. And then in in the walking commentary, the incomparable Paddy Welsh is describing Rich Beam's decision on the 13th tee, uh, sorry, 11, 12th tee now to take a driver and take take on the bunker on the right corner. Um, he's been trying to outmuscle the course all day. You take a uh, like a metal two, a metal two wood, two metal, whatever you want to call it these days, and knock it down the left into that wide open space between the 12th and 13th fairways. Just playing your own yeah. game. How important was it to you know? Not get caught up in the USPGA champion style, and also for you to see the sort of, um, I guess, trouble that he was generating by being aggressive.
1: Yeah, I think in that particular case, I knew the course well enough that that yardage off that tee gave you, if you hooked it, you were going to be fine. You know, and I that was one of those holes I pretty much would play that like that all the time. You hit that shot, you try and hit the fairway. Those bunkers on the right were really tricky. You just did not want to be in those, in up against the lip. Um, so if anything i would always favor the left and i think from memory i sort of overhooked it a little bit but there was never any trouble out there so uh i remember taking a bit of time to get the line on the second shot and i was you know pretty comfortable with it i like i said i played vic so often at the time that i knew the course uh, you know really well and and uh yeah and i think the shot in on uh 12 was one of my best ones for the week i, I think it was a 7-9 from memory but uh you know, I knew I hit it well, I hit it right where I wanted to, and, uh, you know, walking over the hill and getting down there, and it was only, I don't know, it was only three, four feet away, it
3: was, yeah. it, was, it was good. So you said before, just before that bit that Hazy took you back to Steve, you'd said before that, you know, what happened on eight and nine, you know, you had got, um, you'd allow yourself to kind of get ahead of yourself in the round. Can you remember what that, what, what happened when, when you do get ahead of yourself? Can you remember what that, what that sounds like in your own head, what that actually looks like?
1: Uh, I think it is just, it's just a case of you don't then really fully get into the shot that you're on because your mind's just not quite, and it, it's really subtle. It's, it's one of those things that sometimes it can start to happen before you really even know it's happening. <laughs> and you, but when you look back, you're like, that wasn't that hard a shot. Why Why would I have done that and why did I do that? And, you know, i the big thing for the Australian Open for me is that, you know, I'd chuck a, a couple of chances of my career to win good tournaments before then. I'd, I'd won in Germany. Uh... I had a chance in Dubai, and that was one of those ones I went for it on the last, and I hit it in the water in Dubai, but I I don't regret it at all. I just didn't execute the shot well, Um, but at different times when I got in contention, I definitely, you know, I got a bit excited, and and after the Australian Open, I actually really thought I'd got on top of it the day that I was able to really, you know, next time I'm going to be up there, I'm going to be good, and I'm going to, you know, uh, be able to handle it and not get ahead of myself, and... And I didn't, unfortunately. I, you know, I had a chance to win in Milwaukee on the, on the PGA Tour and uh, that was one of those times I really could have won just as easily as lost. But I probably just lost my focus a little bit because I thought I'd, you know, I was chasing Kenny Perry uh, all day. I'd made a lot of birdies. Every time I made one, he made one. I kept being one behind, one behind and I birdied the 14th and I looked up and all of a sudden I was three in front because my birdie had happened when he made a triple. And it completely shocked me because I didn't expect to have to play the last four holes from three in front. <laughs> and I didn't play poorly coming in, I, but you know there was two par fives and I didn't make a birdie. And I, I, I hit one one bad tee shot on seventeen, and I think it definitely I wasn't ready for it, and it, it, it just uh, it just threw me off that little bit. And then he had a hot finish and ended up beating me by a shot. So uh, you know, looking back, I. I learned a lot from winning the Australian Open, and but I learned just as much from losing uh, at Milwaukee the next the next season or a couple of seasons time. I think the
4: next season. Yeah, you raise a really good point, Stephen. That a lot of being in contention truly is trial and error in so many ways. Did you experiment? You know, you mentioned that you weren't prepared to to play the last four holes three ahead. Did you have like throughout other events that you were in contention? Did you experiment with not looking at leaderboards and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I have, actually, and uh, it helped me quite a few years later. I had a little good run at the end of the season in, I think, 2008, and I had a, I played at the – it was actually Dustin Johnson's first tournament win in um, upstate New York in the fall series, and I didn't look at a leaderboard all day uh, and ended up coming third. And I didn't really play that well, but I just hung in there and I did as well as I could in the day, and I didn't look at a leaderboard until I was in the bunker, greenside on 18, and I knew I needed to get up and down to tie Matt Duggan, and I looked at it I'm like that was motivation to get it up and down and come third. And, <laughs> and uh, a couple of weeks later, and a couple of weeks later, I was playing at Greyhawk and um, was playing quite well again, and, and had a chance going into the last day. And I'd, I'd made the point of not looking at the leaderboard, but my game was getting a little bit scruffy, and I'd, I could tell I'd dropped off. And I actually looked at the leaderboard to try and give myself a little bit of a G up and say, "Listen, you're not doing that bad. You can get back in this." You know. Um, so I think that's that's one of those things that uh, that's got to be a personal preference. You know, someone like Tiger clearly knew where he stood and knew what the leaderboard was saying and knew what he had to do. Whereas other people, I think uh, it would have, you know, no, no doubt in Milwaukee, if i had not looked at the leaderboard and been able to just play those last four holes, I'd like to back myself to have played them better and, and won the tournament. But. Uh, you know, you try to learn from these things and hopefully
3: improve. So go, so go back four years before you win your Australian Open and you beat, you know, a really good field um, in the German Open, another national Open, um, you know, over in Europe in 98. Can you remember how you got it done there? Yeah,
1: that was, that was uh, a little bit... That was kind of amazing, that one, actually. I started the last day... Uh, I think I was four shots behind Ignacio Garrido only one behind second place so at that point i'd never won a tournament you know if i if i if i could get to second it would be a great week for me and obviously being four behind us it's all up to him if he has a good day and i i started off playing fantastic i got it to about four under through 12 and i made a triple on the 13th i think it was a par three if i've got my uh, holes correct and that was uh that kind of shocked me and stunned me and I managed to make a par in the next hole and a little bit the same. I'd sort of give myself, well, you still, you still only one out of second now. Let's try and finish second. It'd still be a great week. And I, I uh, rolled a putt in, in the very next hole, which, you know, I'm, I got to one back, I think, after my birdies, triple made me four back. I rolled in a putt and I looked up at the leaderboard there and Ignacio had doubled the same hole that I tripled. So now all of a sudden I'm only one behind again with three to go and I've heard 16, part the last two and, he and I think it was Mark Rowe as well, Englishman, they both bogeyed 17. All of a sudden, I'd won. So that was, uh, that was a crazy, crazy back moment.
0: Jeez, your memory's really fading, Stevie. I can't believe you're struggling to recall all those shots, mate.
1: <laughs> well, you know, if I'd, uh, if I'd won a few, few more tournaments, I might be... I I be <laughs> well. You've only got two under the belt. <laughs> <laughs> two more than us.
0: Mate, I just... Um, you know, some might have said that you coulda, woulda, shoulda stayed in Europe um, and, and plied your trade there. But I put it to you now that, you know, you, you've got your, your beautiful wife, Bridget, and your, and your kids there, Liam, Joey, Zach, um, that US has, you know, have been a great call for you in other region, in other aspects of your life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't regret leaving Europe. I mean, I think, you know, growing up, you always wanted to play on, on the best tour in the world. And, you know, I, I came over and uh, I certainly haven't, Certainly haven't achieved what I would have liked to, but uh, I had my chances, and you know, maybe that a couple of those moments, things could have been, I could have got, got going a little bit better if I'd, uh, if I'd, you know, come through a couple of times. But uh, no, I don't regret it. I mean, I really enjoyed Europe and uh, the great tour with a lot of, a lot of good experiences. I mean, a lot of different countries, a lot of different cultures. You know, obviously a lot of travel. Um, but uh, yeah, once, particularly once I had my my kids, I mean, the US is. You know, it's pretty much hard now where the family is, and uh, so I, uh, yeah, I don't regret, don't
0: regret coming over here at all. We should let you go in a second, mate. Let you tend to that blinker in the background. <laughs> you've been turning <laughs> left for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Um, I just wanted to ask you a couple, couple about where you are at the moment. It hasn't been your greatest year, I think you'd say that straight up, but you know, you've still got the fire in the belly. Uh, am I right in saying you Monday qualified for the for the Safeway Open? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I,
1: I had a. Yeah, I had a poor year on the web.com. I didn't play particularly well, and when I started hitting the ball well, I cut it poorly, and it just uh, the web the web schedule is pretty funny. We play not very many tournaments in a row at the start of the year, so it's very sporadic. And you play one, have a couple of weeks off, and then play two, and then all of a sudden you've got 12 out of 13 weeks, and you need to be playing well. And I didn't play well, and I just I never really quite quite got on top of it, and uh, so I have to go back to the Q school to get back on the web. Uh, And I took the opportunity to come over here and play uh, Monday Qualifier. Um, You know, I I played a mini tour around a couple of weeks ago. I was planning on playing another one maybe in a couple of weeks just to keep sharp until the Q School. And then, um, yeah, in between second stage and finals, the Australian Open's on. And, yeah, so I'm planning on coming down for the Open and maybe even hopefully the New South Wales Open the week before.
3: And where does it sit just before we do let you go? I mean... In terms of um, when you sort of set out as a you know young pro with stars in your eyes, just sort of finishing where we started. Where, where did the Australian Open sit for you, Steve, In terms of the things that you hope that you might be able to achieve as a professional player?
1: I think it's pretty high up there. I think uh, you know it would be hard to say. Obviously, the four majors and probably the players stand above everything else, and then. If you had to pick a title to win, I think that would be the one that I would pick. Obviously, you know, winning on the PGA Tour would be worth a lot more financially and set your career up, but I think a lot of those guys, I mean, I think pretty much if you could ask, uh, you know, if you could ask Bads or, you know, Stuart, Robert, Jeff, Adam Scott, I don't think they'd swap their Australian Opens for another, uh, you know, regular regular PGA Tour win. So it was it was pretty high up there. You know, I remember the first one I went to was the '86. Uh, Open at Metropolitan, watching you know Roger Davis win, and I think as a kid I went to everyone in Melbourne after that, and you know it was uh, they're great, they're great, uh, great experiences watching those guys when you're growing up playing playing the Australian Open. And obviously the Masters was huge back then too, but there's something about your national title that was uh, a little bit. A little bit more prestigious,
3: I think. Well, it's one of those tournaments that people, you know, for one reason will always look back at and, you know, have that conversation about, but they'll always come back to the fact that your name's engraved on the uh, trophy at the end of the day for um, winning and beating everybody else and as. As Ali and and Hazy said, it was a really strong field that you knocked over that year, and you should be unbelievably proud of what you're able to achieve. I'm sure you are, and you don't need us to be telling you that. Great news. You're going to be coming down to the Australian later this year. We can't wait to um, see you do what you're going to do there and everything in between and thereafter, Steve. Thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. We really appreciate it.
1: No worries. Thank Thanks, Cheers, Steve.
3: Steve Allen, the 2002 Australian Open champion, joining us on the show. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows? Maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au
1: today, the home of Australian golf. Hi, this is Aaron Price, and October is golf month. Golf month is the perfect time to share with your family and friends, so get out there this October and have a go.
3: So the 2002 Australian, we're looking forward to the Australian. We get closer to it as every day goes by. Um, Steve Allen, a thoroughly deserved winner.
0: Yeah, exactly, and he couldn't have said it better. I mean, people will always talk about a three-round tournament at Victoria Golf Club as you know being a you know, whatever. Whatever your opinion is, it's yeah. some sort of blight on the game, and, <laughs> and I get that. Um, but I think it's unjust, Steve Allen, to to denigrate what he did. I mean, they all start on level playing field, as he says. If it had been rained out on the Sunday and he was the, he just fell into it, well, that's a different story. So I think, you know, we can all hear in his voice how much it means to him. Mm. And I just re- to reiterate that I point out that he was absolutely beside himself in 2015 when we held the 100th edition of the of the um, Emirates Australian Open at the Australian. He got to be part of the driving ceremony with all the past champions we yeah, could muster, great. and he was, you know, he was quite emotional being part of it. Like it really meant the world to him. Um, getting to meet David Graham for the first time, for example. And you could just see how much it did mean to him. And I full applaud it to him. He's just one of the great gentlemen of the game.
3: So weather was front and centre in 2002, Ali. And unfortunately, again, uh, for the women's game, weather has been a major talking point uh, at the conclusion of another LP. Well, well, previously a major championship, and now at the end of an LPGA Tour event.
4: Yeah, it was an interesting weekend, wasn't it, Um, in terms of decision-making. And I think coming hot off the back of what you mentioned at the Evian Championship, where the LPGA copped a lot of flack for cancelling one of the rounds of a major... um, Yeah, so essentially on the Sunday of uh, the New Zealand Women's Open this past weekend, the players were sent back out. They had a tonne of rain delays. I think they had about five hours combined of rain delays on that final day. And the LPGA have obviously sat down with promoters, organisers, sponsors, and said – what's our contingency plan, and they came up with the fact that they were going to try and finish as much on Sunday. I completely understand that. Girls have flights, so they're actually protecting the field and protecting the wallets of the players as well, um, trying to get that round finished. But what ended up happening was something (laughs) – off the charts, and I think we've got a little clip <sighs> of what happened in the final group. Um, Belen Motho, who was uh, very much so in contention, she had—I think she had a three-shot lead, maybe—going uh, into at least halfway through the second round. And uh, this is just have a listen to this because uh, things really got out of control. passing on what's coming. Yeah. I over know, the radio,
3: but let okay? me talk
4: to him. Yeah. This tour is—we're like yeah. sheep. So Classic Belen, well, you <laughs> when you can, know her. The frustration's
3: there to hear, though, isn't it? I mean, and you can understand why they were concerned.
4: Yeah, well, Belen's posted a, a link to it on her Twitter handle, and uh, it was thrown around a lot within the golfing circles. A lot of people retweeted the vision of what happened. They were on the green trying to putt out, and this gust of wind came through. And granted, you can't really predict Wind gusts, because they're as a general rule, it's an isolated incident. So mm. I, I understand the trouble with n- trying to find a way to know that that was going to happen. But they were on the green, and literally sponsor boards just missed Belen she she hit the putt, and that's mm. something she doesn't get back. It's not like she can replay that putt anytime this year. So. She's hit the part, and then everyone, all of the all of umbrellas and everything turned inside out. Um, Brittany actually, if you watch the vision, Brittany Henderson Brooks' sister and caddy, actually stands in front of Brooke protectively because she saw what was, was coming gay. and didn't want Brooke to get hit. And so it turned into this almost twister-like <laughs> <What> <laughs> vision, uh, oh. and it was I've never seen anything like it before. And you know, we get. Uh, as, as a player, every now and then you get called precious and, oh, it's raining and everything. It's an outdoor sport, but there are genuinely times that you feel unsafe. And, you know, Hazy and I were reflecting on something that happened during my career when I was out in the States and I saw – I was halfway through my swing and I think it was somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Indiana, and – I saw a bolt of lightning happen halfway through my swing that literally made me jump. It was so loud because the thunder came straight away Mm. and I could see it out of the corner of my eye. As I was looking at the golf ball, I could still see the lightning. It was that close. And so we called rules officials out and I said, I I feel unsafe. That was literally what I said. We saw saw it. It was just over there, this lightning bolt. There's a massive storm coming. We could see it. Mm. So it was a matter of time before it got called off anyway. And I said to the rules official, I don't want to play anymore because I feel unsafe. And she said, I'll go and have a look at the weather and go back into <laughs> into you know on the, the tournament on the radar. And no, I said, you don't need no. to. It was just there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, they ended up calling it off after I'd hit my drive. But she made she made me keep playing. Um, and it's a, a real grey area rule where, in theory, you can say that you don't feel safe and you can, quote, unquote, walk off the golf course. But if they deem it safe, then all of a sudden you're in trouble. So... It, it's a tricky situation. I really feel for the tournament organisers, particularly in New Zealand, because I don't know that they could have predicted that that amount of wind coming through as a gust. It must have been 50K an hour plus, honestly, yeah. when you look at it. We- but, but there, there were also weren't enough shelters out on the golf course yeah. that the girls had no place to hide. So I, I really genuinely feel for Blen and she's not, you know she might sound dramatic, but every now and then you do feel like you're a sheep's. You know, I'm pretty sure that's the plural. This is a girl that Bro, used to say get... words like humungage when God she first her. came to college. She's brilliant. No, that's that's
0: going to get back to Berlin. It already has. It's, look,
3: it's, it's a time of the year in this neck of the woods. The good days in spring are beautiful, but unfortunately, weather can be unpredictable. And when it turns at this time of the year. Uh, in this part of the world, it can turn quickly and it can turn pretty savagely. So maybe something needs to be done in terms of where these tournaments sit for the predictability of the conditions and for the good of the game.
0: Then again, Andy, and I will, we'll come back to these results in a minute, but there was some shocking weather in the on the Symmetra Tour and also in the web.com well, tour, and that's, I suppose, in, yeah, that's in late right. autumn. So, yeah. um, um, Just
3: before you go on, have you got something you want to yeah, well, say? Well, I just
0: want to say, I mean, it, it, we'll discuss this briefly here. It's... Um, it it seems very silly that we're dragging all the players down to the Oceania region um, more than once in a year when it's a logistical nightmare and a great expense and all that sort of thing so I, i'm not sure if you've heard anything Ali about uh, about what could potentially happen with the with the uh, sequencing of tournaments in the future
4: i don't i don't know that they're currently planning on changing it but i also don't know that this week past would affect it i think it might um, but i genuinely think if you put the new zealand open the women's open up back to back somehow with the australian open and then it leads into the limited field events in thailand and singapore all of a sudden you have better players playing of both tournaments it's, total sense. Um, it's a massive trek and I just feel like the more we can reward players with a lengthy schedule in each part of the world when you're forcing them, not forcing, but asking them to travel, then the better it will be for the events. agree.
3: Um, so decision-making at play there. We've already spoken about the President's Cup from a macro, but from a decision-making and a micro <laughs> perspective, Hayes. I know there's one thing that in just general business you – didn't want to leave this edition of Inside the Ropes Behind without bringing it up?
0: Well, we've had several instances this year when rules haven't made sense, and we've had a fair lash, Andy, but I nearly think we oh. saw something that's on top of the podium this week. And, you know, absolute... I've given the Americans a fair bake, but oh, my heartfelt sympathies to Jordan Spieth, who's the victim of one of the more stupid... or well, not stupid, because it's, it's enforcing the rules in front of them, and I get that, but illogical decisions yeah. I've ever seen that's on a golf road. course. So for those who didn't see... Footage of it, uh, I think it was Louis Oosthuizen having a putt for an eagle when his partner, Jason Day, had already had his next birdie putt conceded. So the best that they could have done was have this eagle putt go in. Mm. After that, it's a moot point because I've already got a birdie. Oosthuizen's putt rolls past the cup. Not one inch, not two inches, not breezy, not a cyclone, nothing happening, no sheeps. (laughs) uh, The ball was four metres, let's say four metres past the hole, still tracking downhill when Jordan Spieth decided to pick it up uh, and you know, basically say the hole's over. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen didn't care less. He didn't mind. He knew what had happened. He'd missed the eagle putt. We've already got a birdie. Let's go on. Well, the rules official came out interjected and said, in match play, that's a loss of a hole because you know that could have hit anything or blown back into the hole you don't know, and you just stopped it. You've re- ruined the international team's chances of winning this hole. Well, please... Was Spare a, me. It was ridiculous. Spare me. Uh, how, again, we go back to how that looks to outsiders. It's just so maniacal to think that that's understandable to the average person who's already struggling to grasp the concept of conceited birdies and conceited eagles and all this sort of stuff. Just let the play be logical. When I don't even know what else to say.
3: When you're the rules official, ally who doesn't want to enforce the rule, you know you've got a rule that probably needs to be looked at.
4: That's a really valid point. And. Uh, I wonder at what point in time a match gets out of the hands and the controls of the people that are playing it. Mm -hmm. Um, They get to decide which putts are conceded and and so forth. But as soon as the ball was scooped up by Jordan Spieth, it was out of all of their hands. And you, you could see quite clearly that Jason Day and Louis weren't really on board with it and didn't really understand the ruling or how it it had fallen out. And you saw them walking up and talking about it, going to the next tee, and they're, they're both fine. throwing their hands up, you know. Yeah, and no, exactly. and they weren't obviously weren't happy with it. But at what point in time is it not about the four people that are playing the match? Well,
3: I, well, that's what it should be about, and it should be about the sense and the logic. And if imagine if on a at a club, you know, four ball foursomes championship, the same situation applies. Eight, you've scunged one across the green. It's going to go into a bunker. Stop it! Be- stick your foot down. Stop it before it goes in. Imagine if people stop doing that, and the ball goes in, and then you've got to climb across the green. You've got to pick the rake the bunker. You've got to slow the whole thing down because someone might call. It's just it doesn't make any sense. Um, you, one of you mentioned Symmetra Tour just then.
4: Absolutely. One, one yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to talk about oh, the fact that Hannah Green got goodness. a third win. Woo! What a player she is. I know, and she, and she is a good player, and she's got a swing that's going to hold up really well over time. I think it's a name that obviously we've probably yeah. been relentless with realistically <laughs> in the last 20, 20 episodes, but it's for a reason. It's not it's not unearned uh, praise, no, why? I think. Um, now, so she officially has a Battlefield promotion. I was asking on the weekend whether two people had ever got it in the same year because Nana Madsen has also um, achieved the same feat, but... Uh, Yeah, I mean, Hannah Hannah and Nana, exactly, Hannah v. Nana. But, um, (laughs) yeah, they'll be a great duo out on the LPGA next year, but Hannah's going to keep on playing. Otherwise, she's looking at about a four-month stretch before a tournament, so she's... Not sitting on it, resting on her laurels. She's back in the field again, um, playing in Indianapolis. This uh, no Daytona Beach, um, the other racing, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> car racing part of the world. But yeah, so she's uh, she's seeing it up again. But all credit absolutely goes to her for yeah. doing something that is uh, so hard to do.
0: Someone stopped me the other day, Andy. know, we were talking about. Uh, They asked me about whether they had a sponsor for Inside the Ropes, and I said, no, we haven't really gone down that path yet. And they said, oh, I already thought Hannah Green was the sponsor. (laughs) Uh,
3: Other bits and pieces around the world. Did you see Paul Dunn knock over a really strong field in the British Masters? Uh, which is an event that's kind of working, you know, the hosting of a player at a club that's important, and of course it's important to them. And it was Lee Westwood this week, and he played well, and the crowds were great. The numbers of people who turned up were extraordinary uh, for that particular event on historical records that have been kept. McElroy shoot 63-64 on the weekend, which is probably from a big picture uh, worth noting. Paul Dunn beats him by three, however, a fellow Irishman. Did you see the break he got on eleven? He's hit, he's, he's, hit, he's hit this, um, I think he's hit about an 8-iron in, I stand to be corrected on the shot that he's played in, and it's come in quite hot, and it was going to pitch and then bounce and sort of potentially go over the back and leave him with a really tricky up and down, just as the tournament was really on. Well, it's pitched, hard pitched into the back of a sprinkler head, one of the big oh. sprinklers, and hit the grassy backstop, the, the cutout of the sprinkler, hit that, deadened the ball, deadened the ball on its fly, it's Bounced straight out of the back of the sprinkler head softly and just trickled straight down this little bank to about two feet. Uh, so he's made his birdie. He could have been looking at double, Yeah, triple, it's a three-shot swing, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Um, that was on the 11th in the final round. He, and then he chipped in on 18 to close the deal and win by three. So that was pretty significant. Um, just I'm barracking for Marcus Fraser, who's a great friend of everyone here in Australian golf and a great friend of everyone. He's just having a tough time at the moment, Fraser. And, um He's play, he's it up this week in the uh, Dunhill Dunhill Well, I just want Fraze to get back to doing what Fraze does. If that's what he wants, if he wants to keep playing over there and you know keep competing the way he always has and flying the flag, he's just going through a bit of a rough spot at the moment, Marcus. And um, we can we'll all be barracking for him to get a result this week. The other result worth noting, it has to be noted, is what happened at the end of the FedEx Cup. Fi- the web, sorry, the web, the web.com finals. This is heartbreaking for Cameron Percy. Oh. It was great for Matty Jones, but this is heartbreaking for Cam Percy. And the way this plays out is odd. I'm not quite. I can't get my head around how players decide not to play. They go up the money list. They jump the queue um, in terms of the final field positioning, and that forces players who are playing and playing quite well. Outside the top 25, it's if either of you can explain to me simply how this happens, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all ears. <laughs> Are you kidding? It,
0: it, do how you do you explain this simply? I don't know. No, it's, I mean, I think it's a really good uh, concept, but again, from a perception perspective, the public's got zero idea of how all this comes together, and you say you've got to finish in this position and take out the fact that other people have already finished in this position during the year and they're already exempt, and some people from this tour and some people from that tour. It's a really hard Construct it, is, it uh, is. So you know it. it makes it incredibly um, galling, I think, for Cam Percy. And let's go through this. He was he was on the bubble at twenty five when we started the week. He was sitting t twenty two in the overall scheme of things when the final round finally started. He's how how uh, sorry that's overall. So t twenty in the tournament. T twenty two in yep, the rankings. Yep. He stayed, I think, top twenty or tied for twentieth in the in the tournament. In his last round, and went from 22nd to 29th. How? <clears throat> if, that ex- if that's explainable quickly to someone, <laughs> I'd love to hear it. But I really feel for him, because we all said, if he can finish around the top 20, he should be pretty close. And yep. he was. And he should have been. And he should have been, mm. but he isn't. <laughs> and he's out, now he's... Obviously got his web card, but that's gut-wrenching when you had a chance or one finger on a, on a big card. Mm. Um, so consequently, and, and full praise to Matt Jones for coming from 47th to 17th on the overall list, and he gets his card back, and he's playing in the Safeway Open this week too, alongside Steve Allen. Um, so great news for him. Um, let's hope he comes back down to sort of in inverted commas, I'll get this ding, ding, ding thing happening here in inverted commas to defend his Australian <laughs> Open Championship because he couldn't play last year. So if we get some good news soon, he might be back to to play at his home course again. Indeed. Australia.
3: Any final words from either of you two? Yeah, uh,
4: yeah I just wanted to make a special mention of something that Gabby Lopez did, a Mexican player on the LPGA. She donated her entire winnings to right. the uh, the Earthquake um, fund back in her home city of Mexico City. She was home during the earthquake and uh, she showed she put some vision out on social media and it's pretty harrowing stuff just to see your, your city and the buildings moving like that. So um, absolute credit goes to her also, Margarita Ramos and uh, Alejandra Yanesa on the Symmetra tour. These, these girls aren't making a lot of money. So the concept of giving up $19,000 when, you know, that's – once you take away expenses, so someone makes two hundred grand a year, or a lot of that goes to tax, you're spending eighty thousand of that on expenses getting around on your caddy. Caddy alone is probably forty, fifty thousand dollars a year for a full time caddy. So um I just really wanna tip my cap and I, I love the culture that's coming from um the women's side. I know it happens a little bit probably a little bit more behind the scenes on the men's side, but these these corporate days they're putting together for charities, and obviously Stacey Lewis um, with the hurricane relief as well in uh, mm. in Houston, giving her entire winners' check. I just, I really love what's happening in the yeah, in the culture that it's starting up.
0: You know what I'd really love, Ellie? I'd love to see Gabby Lopez, who's just a ripping human being. I'd love to see her make our mixed pre- international team for the Presidents' Cup in 2021 and take the trophy from from Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, no, it's not true because I hope he's not in power no, still. But if he's then. if he's still if, he's still if he's still around, imagine yep, yep. imagine if he had to give the trophy to a Mexican woman. Well, what Liz- a cracker that'd be!
4: Lizette Salas is on the USA side, and her whole family is Mexican. So I know that they've been playing uh, dodgy, dodgy the Presidente, uh, if you will, at the US Opens for the last <laughs> couple of years. And the British Open, she was pretty keen to stay away from him. But um, yeah, I mean, respectfully, stay away from him. But it's oh, already so, in the Not mix. so
0: respectfully. No, Sorry, I Andy. I ready. promised I wouldn't say. No, no, I can't away. believe you've done it
3: again. <laughs> um, I thought you
0: were going to go. There. I thought you are going to go there earlier.
3: You pulled yourself back earlier on the show, but uh, just the housekeeping. Off- <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, um, subscribe to the show. It'll be delivered to you easily if you do on Apple Podcasts or for Android users, download the podcast app through Google Play. Get the show delivered to your device every Thursday. You can also find Inside the Ropes on Spotify and Stitcher. Um, we'd love to. We'd love to know when and how you're listening. To the show if you 're on Twitter send us a tweet at inside the underscore ropes let us know when you 're normally listening and on what platform it 's for our own little internal mm. um, um, research reasons in here when when and how are you listening to us is it on Apple podcast Spotify stitcher gr state website we'd love to hear from you so if you can be bothered letting us know when and how do so and you 're on Twitter at inside the underscore ropes let us know um, have you got any other bits and pieces? Well, I we encourage people to continue run. to leave a review. Oh, um, well, of apparently,
0: we've been stuck on 39 reviews for the past few weeks, and Come we'd on. love to crack 40, Andy. Uh, by next week's show and we oh, will continue true. to give a readout so we got five stars on it well yeah, I'm just right.
4: getting sick of creating accounts and leaving <laughs> reviews guys so if you guys could all chime in that'd be brilliant <laughs> 39 accounts
0: Ellie Whitaker. consider it done uh, yeah so we have kicked into <laughs> we have kicked into golf month um, well and truly now we've been talking about it for a couple of months but it's game on now so uh first port of call for everything to do with this is the Golf Month website, which is golfmonth.com.au. Still urging people to get involved personally and with friends in particular, and also get your club and facility involved. Um, You can do that via the website. Uh, it officially kicked off on Sunday. There's hundreds of activities lined up across the country in the coming weeks. Uh, and The Inside the Ropes team strongly encourages our listeners. Strongly. Strongly to get to that website and see if you can rope a family member or a friend into getting involved with just one of the Golf Month activities. So the theme of this year's Golf Month is to share the golf bug And we're sure just about all our listeners have that. So go and spread it and spread the love, Ali.
4: Well, for those listeners that aren't in Melbourne, they probably don't realise how beautifully mild it is tonight. And so if your partner is thinking about going out to the range in Albert Park or Yarrabend or wherever you may be, Go out with them and just go and have a swing. Watch them hit a small bucket of balls. I mean, I'm sure you could get a beer somewhere as well if you, you if it you can. were that way inclined. And just go and go and get involved. Like it's not going to hurt you, and it's a nice night to be out. The bride,
3: the bride took me out for nine holes the other day at the Cups Course down at the Junes. Uh, she hasn't played since the birth of our first child, uh, which was seven and a half years ago. So it's the first time she's played since then, and. Um, she had two threes. She had two natural pars. No, not just awesome. two threes off the beater. And off the, on those two holes, beat me by three shots straight up on those two <laughs> holes. How many I had a bogey and a double on those two holes. How many shots
0: were you giving her at the start?
3: I didn't give her any shots at all. She can play. Um, I did birdie the first. Uh, so just yep. <laughs> for what it's worth. But, um, but she did. She had two threes. And it, what annoys me about people like this is they don't know... The other people who don't know how actually naturally good they are at this. She doesn't care about being good at golf. She's just naturally kind of okay at it, and it sort of really annoys me. Well, that's the beauty. But of go it. and
0: play with. That's do exactly what Ellie's saying. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to have a two or an eight. Yep. You can enjoy it either way. It's not a problem. Yep. Uh, one last. It's, thing, It's
3: Andy. more a job when you have a two.
0: <laughs> well, you were the one who had the birdie. <laughs> uh, one last thing before from me. Um, the my golf ambassador, or, or sort of the face of the my golf. Uh, campaign a little earlier this year was a young kid called Isaac Ritchies from uh, inland New South Wales, ripping kid, five years old. I don't know if anyone saw it on Jimmy Fallon the other night. It made a lot of news uh, bulletins around Australia. Little five-year-old kid went to um, Jimmy Fallon, the Tonight Show in New York on NBC. It's some of the cutest footage you'll ever see. Um, Held his own and uh, I won't spoil the, uh, you know, the story, but his interaction with Jason Day is just one of the all-time great little moments. And uh, he's a little rock star, Isaac Richie. Go and have a look at it.
3: Go and have a look at it. Um, always fun, you too. Thanks. Good luck with your proposal to save the President's <laughs> Cup. I wish you all the very best.
4: Thanks. Just a little rejig, you know. Can't, can't hurt, can it?
3: That's Alison Winnicott. He's Mark Hayes. I'm Andy Mar. Thanks for tuning in. That's episode 20 of Inside the Ropes. We'll be back to do it all again next week, folks.